just because. Let's consider for a while learning to be content. And I think that's a challenge for us as Americans because we live in a land of great prosperity. And you would think when you have such prosperity as we enjoy that contentedness would be easy to come by. But contentedness happens up here. And sometimes our prosperity, I believe, works against that because we have so many choices, so many options that we always... Well, I won't say always, but I think a lot of times we think we're missing out because we're not choosing something that's available to us that we could be choosing. But from one end of the Bible to the other, God is teaching us to trust him to the point where we will live contented lives. And that's really what contentment is all about. It's about faith. That's at the core. That's at the root of contentedness. And when you read this text here in Philippians 4, let's, let's consider what he says together. He's writing to them. By the way, where is Paul when he's writing this letter? He's in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from prison, he writes this letter saying that he's learned to be content in every situation he's been in. And he's writing because they have sent him some funds, some financial support. And he's, he's writing to thank them for that. This is verse 10 of chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you're, you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, from serious need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. He's learned to be content. Do you think that means that at some point he wasn't content? But he learned to be content. Contentedness is a learned behavior. It's something we come by over time. And when he says, I know how to get along with humble means in verse 12. How do you learn to get along with humble means? You find yourself in a situation where you are in humble means. You don't have a whole lot. And so that's the only way to learn it. You can't learn it anywhere else. And then he says, I've also learned how to live with prosperity. I think that's what we're trying to do in this country. I checked the statistics. 25% of the world, it's estimated, lives in poverty. I mean really Povertous poverty, I guess you could say it. Perhaps some of you have been to some of the places where this is happening on large scale, and it's tragic to see. You can learn to be content in poverty, though. That's what Paul is saying in every circumstance in which he is. I've learned the secret. Oh, there's a secret. I've learned the secret of being filled And going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he tells you what the secret is in verse 13. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ. Now when he says this, he's he's talking about this context of being content. He can learn to be content no matter what, what situation, what circumstance he's in. What a value is that? To learn to be content. Because when you're not content, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're concerned, boy, that'll eat you up. Mess up your life. Mess with your sleep. 
You can't enjoy anything. But when you can figure out how to be content. I think Paul sees the big picture. And the big picture is that we're not here very long. We're not here very long at all. Lord willing, we'll talk more about that in a little while. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking or telling the the church at Corinth a little bit of history about his own people. And this is what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What's he talking about? Under the cloud and passed through the sea. Well, that was Israel when they came out of Egypt. God was leading them by a pillar of cloud in the daytime, a pillar of fire by night. But when they got to the Red Sea, you know what happened? They were afraid that the Egyptians would overtake them and slaughter them. But instead, God stopped them with the pillar of fire. And then he opened up the Red Sea and they went through the Red Sea. They saw it. They experienced that. This is what Paul is talking about to the church at Corinth. You know that this happened to our fathers, that they went through the Red Sea when God parted it for them. And he says they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It was a, a veritable, I don't use that word very much, but it's kind of a cool word, veritable. You can say it if you want to, veritable. That means it was pretty much that. It was, it was a baptism. That's what he's saying. The cloud over top, the sea on either side, they were immersed in the wonder of God. And then he says, verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food. Now when you read that, what, what do you think of? What food did they eat in the wilderness? Well, they ate manna. They ate manna until they got tired of manna, and then they complained, they grumbled, and then God said, okay, here's some quail. I'm going to send you so much quail, it's going to come out your nose. Yeah, you go back and you read the account. They all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, when you think drinking the same spiritual drink, what do you think of when you think about that? Don't you think about the rock? They were thirsty. They complained to Moses again. They were complaining all the time, grumbling, never content. So they complained. God told Moses, go over there and smack that rock and water will come out of it. And that's exactly what Moses did. Took his staff and he struck the rock and water came out. Now he's going to do that again later on. But the next time God's going to say, Moses, just speak to the rock that time. And that time he smacked it again because he was angry. He was not content at that point either. Now, it's spiritual food, not physical food that Paul is focusing on. And it's a spiritual drink. Not physical drink that Paul is focusing on, but we know the things that they experience with the water and the manna and the quail. It's like they missed out on the spiritual elements of those things. If God will provide these things, then God must be with us, and there's the basis for contentment. How can you be upset? How can you be anxious if God is at your side throughout life? Nevertheless, it says in verse 5, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us. So when you're reading about that, know that that's exactly why it's been put in print. So you and I can read it today and see that as an example. These people refused to be content. They refused to be happy. They refused to be satisfied. No matter what came their way, they complained and they grumbled. And God was continually having to straighten them out. So he says, 
so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Oh, we don't have any problem with idolatry today, do we? Yeah, you know, we, we, don't, we don't worship any idols. Well, except Paul did write to the church at Colossae, chapter 3, verse 5. He talks about a thing called covetousness. And he said, covetousness is idolatry. We're not covetous, are we? No, no, of course not. <laughs> See, I'm just as passionate about this as she is. <laughs> Maybe you heard that little story about the, the Amazon driver that stopped at a house and knocked on the door. Lady came to the door and said, yes, can I help you? He said, yeah, I, I just wondered if you guys were all right. You hadn't ordered anything in a few weeks. <laughs> we have the whole world. At the click of a button, you, you just get your credit card out and you can have anything brought to you. And that's the wonder of a credit card. You don't even have to pay for it. Right, yeah. See, that's the way it works. We've just got so much. But the real secret that Paul's talking about is knowing that what we actually have is Christ. Christ. And with Jesus Christ, you can be satisfied. You, you can't have peace without Christ. You can't have rest without Christ. But with him, rest and peace are yours all the way. Contentment is yours all the way. He's talking about them a little further here. He says, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. That's the second time he said that now. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And then you know the next verse. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you will, not, you will be able to endure it. So when you're discontented, when you're feeling tempted to pursue more than what you should be pursuing, God says there's a way out of that call on him. He's the one who will help us to handle all of our temptations. Now, when we read from Philippians, we were reading about Paul talking about his financial situation and, and being content in whatever financial situation he was in. But contentment doesn't just have to do with finances. There's a lot of ways to be discontented Do you like the way you look? It's kind of funny to ask that question, isn't it? Because really, you, you start talking to anybody. It was, if there it was any change you would make about yourself, what would you make? And almost all of us would make some kind of a change in the way we appear. Although I do have to say, I, I think hair is overrated. I remember as a young man having to spend time messing with that stuff. It's just so easy now. Do you worry about the way you look as far as your clothing goes? 
See, we used to worry about that too, especially when I was much younger. I would worry about how I appeared by virtue of my clothes. And when you get old, you know what happens? See, people think when you get old, you don't care anymore because of the way you dress. It's not that we don't care anymore. It's that when you get old enough, you realize it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And who taught us all these things in the first place? Well, if you go back to the the Sermon on the Mount, my goodness, Jesus is the one who teaches us these things in Matthew chapter 6. This is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6. And sometimes we'll start with this in verse 25, but I want to start at verse 24. Where Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Who do you think those two masters are? Because you see, when I was young, I thought, well, that would be God and the devil. But it's not God and the devil. God is one of those masters, but who's the other master? Money or material things. It's stuff. And that really is the idol That we are tempted to bow down to. And so Jesus says, you can't serve the things of this world and God. You got to pick one or the other. And then he says this, for this reason, because you can only serve one, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you'll drink or what your your body, what you'll put on. Is not uh, the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor the reap, nor gather into barns and your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? What's he saying? And God takes care of the birds. Now that doesn't mean just go home and sit down and wait for God to throw some food at you. He doesn't even do that for the birds, does he? You see the birds out in the wintertime, what are they doing? They're looking for something to eat, but it's there. It's there. They find it. You ever wonder, like I do, how do birds survive wintertime? How do they make it? Where do they sleep? Well, they sleep sitting on the limb of a tree somewhere. How can they do that? I can't do that. Well, of course, I can't do that. I weigh 200 and none of your business. (laughs) That'd have to be a pretty sizable limb. But the fact of the matter is, we're not birds. God's given to the birds what birds need, and God's given to you and me what we need. All the time, every day, he is our provider. And when you serve him, you you learn eventually to accept that. It's his, his compulsion, if you will, by his nature to do you and me good. God is not, like some people seem to have a picture, a big guy with a white beard and a stick waiting to smack you on the head at any false... That is the dumbest, most wrongest, is, can you say wrongest? That's the wrongest view of God you could ever have. You read about the Israelites in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul writes about 10 different times... They pushed God. They tempted God. He was patient. He still brought them through. Still took care of them. Still provided for them. Even in those 40 years, their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. You can go back and read and research all these things that the scripture tells us about. How he cared for them even though they were rebellious and complaining and grumbling all the time. Because that's our God. 
And that's what he does with you and me. He takes care of us. And this is what Jesus is telling us. Why do you worry about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Clothing. Do we ever worry about our next meal? Most of us don't, I, I would venture to say. Do we ever worry about what we're going to wear? I would say most of us don't. Tell me, how thankful should we be that these are not our concerns in America? Now, if you have those concerns, I want to talk to you. You come see me afterwards. If you're worried about where your next meal is going to come from, we can do something about that. If you're worried about whether or not you've got enough clothing, we can do something about that. But how grateful should we be to God that these typically are not our concerns? What are you worried about? What are you concerned with? Are you getting ripped off on your internet provider? Is that your big worry today? Do you have a sufficient amount of health insurance? Is that what you're concerned with? Have your sprinkler pipes frozen during this bad weather? How stinking rich are we? To have these kinds of things to be concerned with. And yet Jesus says, listen, if you've got food and clothes, that's that's really all you need. Why be anxious about anything else? I think that's a good question, don't you? He goes on to say, verse 31, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I love what he says there. God already knows what I need. He already knows what you need. And this is physically, but it's not just physically. It's also mentally. It's also emotionally. It's also spiritually. Every need that you have, God knows and he is ready to supply whatever need you have. Do we have it good? Who else in the world can boast such things? This is why Paul, sitting in prison, could write to the church in in the city of Philippi and say, I've learned to be content in every situation I have because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter what my situation is, no matter what my circumstance is, whether it's, it's money, whether it's clothing, whether it's food, and there's all kinds of ways to be dissatisfied, your, your health, maybe, maybe even your family. Maybe you got one of those families that Jeff Foxworthy could make a whole show out of. Maybe that's your situation. Or maybe it's your health. Bless your hearts. We know people with serious health issues. I don't know how some of you do it. But I've talked to you, and you always let me know in one way or another, God provides. God provides. I, I see these commercials come on TV at night, and I go, oh, man. That's horrible. I'm glad I don't have that. You ever do that? And then maybe you think of somebody who does. What do we say? There's always somebody in a worse position than you. That's that's kind of a... Well, it's a truth, though, isn't it? There's always somebody worse off. But no matter what situation you're in, you can take comfort in Christ. 
And then verse 34, this is where Jesus wraps it all up. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough what? Has enough trouble of its own. I knew a dear sister years ago, and she would say this, I don't want to borrow trouble. I think that's pretty good practice, right? Don't want to borrow trouble. I mean, there's a lot of things we borrow in life, but borrowing trouble? Could you imagine knocking on somebody's door? Hey, you got enough trouble? I want to borrow some. You wouldn't do that. That's crazy. And that's what Jesus is saying. Today's got enough trouble of its own. Just deal with what's going on today. Remember what he taught us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. One more text. There's a bunch of them. But this one, I want to re- review or re- renew rather your, your memory of it. It's the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23. David wrote this 3,000 years ago. And it's like the quintessential text, aside from Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, on being content. And this is what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the next line? I shall not want. What does that mean? I shall not want. That means I will not be in want. I'm not going to sit around moping and suffering because I don't have something I need. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. You see that imagery? Jesus as the shepherd and he is the good shepherd. That's what he calls himself in John chapter 10. He's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep how? By name. And he calls them and they follow him. That's who you are. You're one of his sheep and he knows you and he knows what you need. And David is saying, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. What does a sheep need to eat? A green pasture. And David says, he makes me lie down in one. In other words, I'm not starving, so I'm running all over the place trying to eat all this grass. No, I'm so contented, I can just lay down in one. I've got plenty. Everything I need to eat is right there. He restores my soul. You ever need your soul restored? Man, he's the only one who can do it. He guides me. In the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's another passage, one of my favorites in Proverbs. It says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. What a comfort to know that God is is directing your steps, guiding us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... When things get as bad as they can get, he says, I'm still not going to fear any evil. Why is that? Because God is with him. His shepherd is with him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those are two interesting tools the shepherd uses. The staff, reach out and pull a sheep into you. The rod, it's a stick. You can throw it a, a wolf. Around here, you might throw it at a coyote, but you can also smack a sheep with it. Sheep gets out of line. You ever need to be smacked around a little bit by the Lord? Yeah, well, he does it because he's a good father. He's a good parent. He's a good shepherd. He's the only one qualified to do it, and he does it perfectly. 
Be content when you're being corrected by the Lord because that's what all of us need. All of us need that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You wouldn't expect such a blessing in the presence of your enemies. But that's how powerful God is. Even when your enemies are confronting you, he prepares for you all that you need. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Drinking from the saucer. You remember that little poem? Got the coffee cup so full it's running over into the saucer. Man, we're drinking from the saucer. We got got good stuff flowing out of the saucer. That's what David wrote about 3,000 years ago. Surely, goodness and loving kindness is going to do what? It's going to follow me. That's how David writes about this. How can we not be content when 3,000 years ago, this man had it figured out? This man who was sinful himself, this man who did things probably so bad that you and I may never do anything like he's done. And yet he comes back to the Lord and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe he needed the correction of that rod and that staff, but he got it. And so now he says... I'm contented. I'll never be in want with my Lord. And goodness and loving kindness are going to follow me. Sometimes we think as we, as we go through life, we're, we're going to get away from the good. But the good is always not only there, the good is always following us. That's what good does. When God is your shepherd, when Jesus is the one you're depending on. And so each day of our life, I want to encourage you. No matter what comes your way. Because bad things are going to happen. They happen all the time. And they'll happen on a scale from 1 to 100. You might have a little something go wrong today. Maybe Brahms will be out of gravy. Oh. Could you imagine the horror? Or maybe it'll be something serious. We lay loved ones down all the time, don't we? In sickness and in death. We face those kinds of things. We see people we love struggling with spiritual issues and emotional issues. And it's just so difficult to know you can't really fix it. You can't do anything about it. When you're a parent and one of your children is sick, oh, man, it tears your heart out. Who do you talk to when those things happen? And he always provides. Always. Always. Well, four things in closing. Four things about learning to be content. Number one, keep looking at the big picture. Life is short. We're not here very long. We're going to get out of this place. Amen? You ever heard of the Tamzine? T-A-M-Z-I-N-E. It's a little 15-foot boat. Back in 1940, the Germans were pushing the British Army and the French and the Belgians north into France. And they got stuck at a place called Dunkirk. And they were about to be wiped out by the Germans. And Churchill said, we've got to save those boys. And so 800 different vessels, some of them, Navy ships, of course, but a lot of civilians took their yachts and their fishing boats and whatever craft they had. And the Tamzine was the smallest one. It was 15 feet long. And they sent those boats across the channel and they picked up those soldiers to take them back. Now think about this. If you're one of those soldiers and you're facing death and all of a sudden you find yourself in a 15-foot boat going back across the channel to safety... How grateful would you be? How grateful would you be? That's you and me. God is taking us to safety. Don't complain about the boat. 
You're going to be happy to be there if you think of the big picture and what's facing you otherwise. Number two, count your blessings. We sing the song, don't we? It really helps. You get in a, in a funk and you're thinking, man, things are not going my way. Stop and think about what you do have. Whether it's food or clothes or a house or loving people in your family, whatever it is that you've got, think about it. List those things. I guarantee you it'll start changing your outlook on no matter what trouble you are facing. Count your blessings. There are many and it'll change your perspective. Remember the serenity prayer. Do you remember that serenity prayer? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. If you can't change it, put it in God's hands. Let him worry about it. Like somebody said, he's going to be up all night anyway. If you can change it, you can work on it. But don't be anxious even about what you can change. So keep looking at the big picture. Count your blessings. Remember the serenity prayer. And here's the big one. No matter what situation you find yourself, glorify God in that situation. Give glory to God in your circumstance. Whether you're in poverty, whether you're in wealth, give glory to God. If your health is excellent and you don't need to see any doctor, glorify God. If you've got a foot in the grave, glorify God. No matter what your situation. If your family is wonderful or if they need to be on TV... Glorify God. If you're smart, you've got brains like Einstein, glorify God. If you're dumber in a post. (laughs) But it's like one guy said. You don't have to be a genius to follow Jesus. You just have to be honest. You just have to be honest. And here we are. We know he's the only one who can do it for us. So why would we go to anybody else? We're going to stand and sing a song, or stand and sing a song of, of encouragement. If you need some help with learning to be content, or if you need to put Christ on in baptism, if you need the prayers of this church, here comes Titus to lead us in that song. Let's stand up and sing with him and come forward if we can help you with anything.